0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, good morning to those of you on Zoom. Glad that you could join us that way. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm uh, the executive pastor here at Miss Uday and also uh, a member of the preaching team. And uh, we have been going through Acts. If you've been around for a bit, you'll know that we've been going through that book for several weeks now. And um, before we get into the section of it today that I want to look at, I actually want to start with a question. I want to start with a kind of a reflection question for everyone this morning. And it's just simply this. I want to ask you, and maybe take a second to think about it. If I were to ask you, where would you locate your confidence right now? Where would you put your confidence right now? Maybe you say, I don't really feel like I have any confidence, which maybe that's an answer itself. But what I mean by this is when stuff gets difficult, When you feel anxious, when you feel unsure of what's to come, when you're just not sure of what's next, what in those moments do you do you take comfort in that will pull you through? Like, what is it? What is the thing you go to? If you try to be really honest with yourself, you know, is it is it your job? Is it um, I don't know the success of your kids, your family? Is it how large your four hundred one k is, right? Um, Is it politics? some sort of political vision, uh, what, what is it? What is the thing that when you're anxious and worried, your confidence is shaken up, what is the thing that you go to to feel better? What's the thing that you put confidence in in that sense? So, you know, <laughs> we're in the middle of what you could call one of the most, I think, in our culture, at least I, I grew up in America, um, we're, in, we're in, the, in a year that has been one of the most profoundly confidence-shaking years for a lot of people. And in so many ways, the pandemic, obviously, the political season, um, the tensions around topics like race and conversations that we need to really keep having, um, all those things are shaking people's confidence in so many ways. And so I think collectively our confidence has been rattled. It's probably fair to say as a culture and as a people. But I think when that happens, and this is ultimately what I want to talk about this morning as we look at this section in Acts, when when something like this happens, um, we have an opportunity to evaluate, well, what do I usually put my confidence in, right? What am I usually confident in that maybe I can reevaluate and realize has been pulled away? You know, where has my heart's confidence been pulled in different directions than maybe it should be? So with that in mind, maybe whatever came up for you, just kind of keep it in the back of your mind as we think about this section of uh, Acts chapter 8. Um i'm going to say a quick prayer for us, and then um, we'll dive into some of the scriptures. So Lord, I simply pray that you're, um, that I would be sensitive to your spirit as we speak through the story. Um, Lord, would you increase our confidence in you and your gospel and if necessary, pull our confidence away from idols this morning? Pull our confidence away from things that are not of you and help us. We need you to relocate our confidence back in you. And I pray that as we look at the early church and their utter, amazing confidence in nothing but the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that we would be stirred to that same level of confidence today in our day. Um, In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray all this. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at a section of Acts chapter 8. Last week, Jordan talked us through a really long section of uh, Acts around uh, the martyrdom of Stephen, if you remember that. So let's look, if you have a Bible or if you have it on your phone or whatever, go ahead and pull up Acts chapter 8. I'm not going to read the entire section for the sake of time, but I am going to read some sections of it as we speak through it. Um, But again, I want to keep keep considering the question of confidence as we look at this section of the book of Acts. So starting in Acts chapter 1, or (laughs) Acts 8 verse 1, rather, it says, on that day remember this is on the heels of Stephen being killed publicly on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison a pause there so this is, this is stark stuff. Um, this, this is a, a significant difference in the narrative of Acts so far. We have not seen this happen. And by that, I mean we have not seen this kind of persecution happen yet. This is a new thing. What we have seen so far, if you've been tracking with us as we've talked through it, we've seen, uh, we've seen healings. We've seen um, people like Peter stand up and proclaim really boldly in public places. And we have seen occasionally leaders, lo- uh, local religious political leaders, push back on that. We've seen them react poorly to this kind of disruption. I talked about um, several weeks ago. I talked about a holy disruption is what keeps happening here, and we've seen as these disruptions happen, some leaders have pushed back and imprisoned people like Peter. But that's not that's not the same as the persecution that's happening now. This is a this is a corner that we're turning in the story. So the text tells us that this persecution was it was systematic and it was with the intent to destroy and stamp out the movement. Interestingly, Saul. Whom we're going to hear a lot about um, in a few chapters uh, from now. He's a leader of this, right? But I, I, what I really want to focus on this morning is that sense of persecution and that sense of this is this is a this is a new thing that's happening and it's dire and it's intense and it's and it's difficult. And I don't want to gloss over that because there can be a there can be a temptation at least in my experiences of talking about the persecution of the early church, there can, be a, there can be a temptation to almost like valorize it or glorify it and like talk about it in these kind of glowing terms about how much good happened out of the persecution. And that's all true. Really good things happened out of the persecution, and God used it in powerful ways, which is actually part of our story we're going to talk about. But I don't want to gloss over the fact that this was real suffering. People were seeing their friends and their family dragged to prison People had just seen their friend and partner in ministry, Stephen, killed publicly, right? So let's not forget that this is is difficult. This is intense. This is not something I want to happen to me and my family in this church. (laughs) I don't want to see people in this room get dragged off to prison with the intention to stamp out what we're trying to do by proclaiming the name of Jesus. I don't want to see that happen. (laughs) So I just want to camp on that for a second to help us kind of sink into the emotional, maybe the emotional climate of what's going on. But, interestingly, the text also tells us that it is this persecution, this intention to destroy the church and stamp out the movement, this is precisely what pushed the followers of Jesus into the territories that Jesus promised them they would move to. So in in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his followers, in a very well-known passage, he says, he promises them, you will be my follower, or you will be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Well, everything in Acts up till now has happened in Jerusalem. So the first part has come true. They've been his witnesses in Jerusalem so far. All the things we talked about, the healing, the martyrdom of Stephen, all of that stuff has happened in Jerusalem. They have have not moved to Judea and Samaria. This is the first time in Acts that the, the followers of Jesus move into Judea and Samaria, and it says it's because of the persecution. They were scattered to these places, right? That's fascinating to me. So at the at one, on one hand, I don't want persecution to happen, <laughs> right? On the other hand, I'm seeing that this is what this is what pushed the church out into what would eventually become a, literally a globally changing uh, movement, right? We're here in our corner of Maine. We're here because these followers got pushed into Jerusalem or into Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. That's really significant, and this is fulfilling what Jesus promised them would happen. Now, he didn't tell them, you know, when he promised them, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. He, at least the text doesn't say that he told them. And by the way, that's going to happen when you get persecuted and pushed there. Uh, but regardless, it did fulfill what he said would happen. And there's a lot more that I could say about the, the persecution that was going on. Um, but all I want to do for now is just have that as kind of our backdrop, our context for the story that we're going to look at in Samaria. And I want to focus on the fact that with this backdrop, with this intense, systematic persecution as a backdrop, I want that to uh, bring to life the confidence we see in the followers of Jesus. That even though this is what they just had gone through, they are speaking with utter confidence the name of Jesus as they get scattered. So, let's, let's keep going into the chapter. Um, I'm going to read a little bit farther. And we'll talk about this interesting story about Philip and uh, this man named Simon. So picking up in verse 4. Those who had been scattered, listen to this, preached the word wherever they went. It's like Brad's video. He <laughs> couldn't help but, but sing uh, and preach about the word. Verse 5. Philip, who was one of them, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Another translation says they were all hanging on his words. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Read a little bit farther. Verse 9. For some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in that city. And he amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere. Astonished by the great signs and miracles. So, and pause there. So here we have Philip, who, interestingly, is one of the seven um, that was appointed uh, a couple chapters ago, alongside Stephen, who was just martyred, right? So Philip is one of these seven individuals who are appointed as um, men who are filled with the Spirit and were p- kind of pillars of the community. Philip is one of these one of these individuals, and he has been scattered into Samaria. And man, I really wanted to go down a whole rabbit, rabbit trail about Samaria because there's a ton of history and background there. Um, but I'm, I'm resisting that urge uh, for the sake of time. Uh, but it's fascinating that Samaria is one of the first places that, that this gospel of a Jewish Messiah gets proclaimed in, right? Let's chase that down if that's something of interest to you. That's, that's amazing. Um, but Philip is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and, and Jesus Christ boldly in this new territory. And stop, again, stop and think about this for a second. He was appointed alongside Stephen as a leader. And what happened to Stephen right after that? After Stephen boldly proclaimed the name of Jesus, Stephen was killed publicly. So Philip won alongside him. I mean, they, they were friends. They were partners in ministry. They were brothers. And his, he had just seen Stephen killed for boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus. And what does he decide? Oh, I'm going to keep doing that in not friendly territory. That is astonishing to me. And that is, shows us the utter confidence Philip had in the name of Christ. So much confidence that he, he didn't place confidence in his own security and his own safety, right? I would, on a human level, totally forgive him for keeping his head down for a while, right? Just kind of, don't, don't cause any trouble, man. You just watch someone die. But he didn't. He kept, he kept proclaiming. So what I want to ask you along that night, along those notes... What are you so confident in that you cannot help but speak boldly about it? Right? Just think about that for a second. That may be I have a little visitor here. Hi. Uh, that may be, maybe a signal, a signal to you as to what you put your confidence in, right? Is it? Is it politics, some political vision? You just can't help but speak boldly about it? Or is it, is it a, I don't know your favorite sports team to use a much more trivial example? Um, Is it your opinion of various aspects of the pandemic that are happening right now? Like, what are the things that... My my point is, what are the things that you just can't help but speak boldly about, right? I think that that reveals something about where one's confidence is placed. And I just think it's worth uh, worth, um, examining that for all of us. It's been very convicting for me as I've been uh, meditating on this this week. But what we see, the point I want to really emphasize here... We are seeing Philip's utter confidence to speak boldly wherever he goes. In the face of persecution and scattering and the death of one of his friends. Gosh, would would we have that confidence right now? That's what I pray for. And one other thing I want to say about this before we talk about Simon. I love the verse that it says, as Philip was proclaiming these acts, it was accompanied by freeing people from spirits and healings. And I know the, la- the language of freeing from spirits, that's a little tough for us today in our kind of science, modernist, drenched way of thinking about the world. And so I get, I get that that's kind of hard for us in our culture to, to wrap our minds around. But just, if nothing else, imagine if, you, if you've known someone who's been freed from a spirit of addiction, or just freed, freed from addiction, freed from abuse, freed from whatever, fill in the blank. If you've seen someone freed from something like that, that's a powerful thing, and it, it produces joy, right? And what we see in this text is that where Philip was going, he was proclaiming confidently. It was freeing people, and it said there was great joy in that city. I love that verse. I love that verse. Maybe it's just because I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I don't know. Uh, And if you know what the Enneagram is, that's those little inside joke for you. Uh, But that really landed with a dud. So no one here knows what the Enneagram is. That's fine. Uh, So... I think, though, I really believe, come, I, I I'm re, revisiting this even myself, I really believe that where the church is and where the church is alive has the spirit in it, as Jordan has taught us to, over the weeks to pray for the spirit to make us aware, acutely aware of his presence, where the church is alive to the spirit, I think joy is increased in that place, in that city. What if What if because of our community in Portland in 2020, the most joyless year we've probably had in a long time, what if the joy in Portland was increased because of God's work in us as a community right now? Right now. That's been really, really enlivening me this week as I've been thinking about that. Praying for an increase of joy built on the confident proclamation of the the gospel. Okay, let's talk about Simon. Because at this point, everything seems to be going well, right? If I'm, if I'm Philip, the evangelist, I've gone to a new city, seen all this healing, freeing, revival, renewal, um, this is when I'm kind of like, yeah, mission accomplished. Nailed it, <laughs> right? Because even Simon, I want to talk about Simon for a minute, because Simon is the local celebrity, right? Simon is presumably wealthy, But it says that everyone was following him. Important people and non-important people were flocking to him. And he was called the great power of God. He was some sort of miracle worker, signs worker, which was fairly common in the ancient world. uh, People people, uh, built up followings doing these signs and wonders. So he is a local celebrity, person of fame, person of influence, person of wealth. So imagine... um, Just to to try to get your mind into this, imagine a celebrity today. Whoever comes to mind for you, could be Hollywood celebrity, could be political celebrity, someone someone who, if they were to visit Portland, crowds would gather, right? Someone who has that magnetism that pulls people towards them. That's Simon, right? Imagine this, person of significant influence. And even Simon signs up for the new Jesus thing that's going on because of Philip. Because of Philip's confident, joyful proclamation. This seems like the biggest win ever, right? The local, powerful, influential celebrity who was formerly called the power of God is now believed and baptized in the movement of Jesus, which is a public thing. Simon the celebrity being publicly baptized. So this is a big deal. And there's so much disruption, holy disruption, keep using that phrase, happening in this town in Samaria that the like head honchos, Peter and John, from Jerusalem, who are still back in Jerusalem, decide to come and pray for these new believers and to see what's happening and to support it and to bless it. So they travel from Jerusalem to Samaria. Again, oh man, it's so fascinating. Peter and John, Jewish um, men who's, who've ra- been raised in the Jewish culture, Jewish context, going to Samaria to pray for Samaritans who are now saying that Jesus and the Messiah have been baptized. I mean, this is like, all over Acts is just boundary-breaking stuff. You know, boundaries, and, uh, boundaries that, that have been intact culturally for so long are just, and which Danny talked about a few weeks ago, right? Those cultural boundaries that break down fellowship. We're seeing the gospel, pr- like, fuel people to break through these boundaries all over the place. So Peter and John go to Samaria, uh, this town Samaria, pray for them. It says they laid their hands on these follower, these new believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And, man, there could be a whole sermon about that, (laughs) which I'm not going to go into. Um, But something was going on when Peter and John were praying for these people. They received the Holy Spirit, and something was evidently happening. More movement was happening to such an extent that Simon took notice. Simon, the celebrity, took notice of it, and then he approaches them with an offer. He, he offers to them, can I pay you to be able to do what I just saw you do? And this is fascinating on many levels. Interestingly, he, he doesn't want to pay them to receive the Holy Spirit himself. He doesn't say, oh man, can you like, put your hands on me and pray for me? Here's some money. He says, and I think this is important. He says, I will pay you so that I can do what you just did. I want to go around and start putting my hands on people and giving them the Holy Spirit. I want to control this. Right. I we don't get any any like psychological, I don't know, insight to what was going on, what his motives were, but it's easy to imagine. He was known as the great power of God before. He was the miracle worker before. He wants to do what he just saw them do, right? He's treating this like a like a magic trick. And on the one hand, I think this makes sense because that's all Simon knew before. All Simon knew was the celebrity influence. He wants to gather the crowd. He wants to be at the center. That's all he knows. And I think, to tie this back to our theme this morning, I think we're seeing a revelation, a revealing of where Simon's confidence lies. Simon's confidence lies in his wealth and his influence and his power. Because, of course, that's how it works. You have money. You should be able to use money to convince people to do what you want. That's just how, that's how it goes. And in Peter's reply, we see where Peter's confidence lies. Peter's confidence does not lie in money, and man, if I'm Peter, I wonder if Peter was tempted to take the money because it's money, right? <laughs> I mean, money money is uh, money is a seductive thing. But Peter says we don't get any shred of that from Peter's reply. At least in the text, he says, um, "May he says you and your basically." you and your money should perish. He like slams it back in Simon's face. Another translation in the New Testament for everyone says you and your silver belong in hell. And then he goes on to say, I see now that you are full of bitterness. Bitter jealousy is one translation. To Simon, you are full of bitterness. You've been poisoned by jealousy. You are captive to sin. Wow. I mean, this is like unbelievable rebuke. And just to, just to, Unpack this for a second. Don't forget that there were some interesting, there must have been some interesting kind of power dynamics between Simon and Peter in this moment. Because again, Simon's the local celebrity. He's the power of God. He's the one who pulled the crowds, both great and small. People of influence followed him before. So I was trying to get my head into this. <laughs> this is going to be a funny image for some of you. Um, imagine, imagine the rock Dwayne Johnson, uh, hears about some some powerful preaching happening at Missio Day Church. And he flies here to see what's going on. And he approaches me. Imagine me standing next to the rock. (laughs) He approaches me and offers me money so that I can teach him how to pray. And I say, the rock, you and your money belong in hell, right? (laughs) I don't know if I'd call him The Rock. That was kind of weird. Uh, (laughs) But just, I mean, it's funny, right? But imagine, like, someone of that stature and celebrity and influence and power and me, scrawny, pasty me, (laughs) rebuking The Rock. Like, I think this is kind of humorous, but I think this is, like, imagining this stuff helps us get into the, again, the utter confidence of people like Peter in the name of Jesus and nothing else. Celebrity, political influence, Uh, charismatic speaking money just all that stuff can just wither away it's like ash all that matters is the name of jesus being proclaimed and the joyful release and freedom from spirits healings renewal increased joy in the city that's what matters so i want to end with this We have, again, we have been in a confidence-shaking year. And I think it reveals how tempting it is to put our confidence in wrong places. You know, our, our confidence shouldn't have really ever been in the, in the fact that, in, in our political structures, really shouldn't have ever been there. Shouldn't have ever been in our ability to maintain a safe, comfortable lifestyle that would never be impacted by a pandemic. Should never be in our ability to keep our retirement accounts under lock and key, keep them growing. Whatever it is, I'm 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 confessing some of the things I'm tempted to in, in, in those examples, but you may have different examples. Our confidence should never be in those things. Our ultimate confidence should not be in those things. Our ultimate confidence should be in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who came, who died who reveals the Father's infinite love for us and for this world and who promised to be with us until he comes again to set all things right. That is our confidence, folks. That should be where our confidence is. And equipped with that, we should be able to proclaim that in the face of pandemics, in the face of whatever is happening politically, in the face of economic meltdown, chaos. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, our, our confidence should not rely on the continued success of the American governmental project. Frankly, it shouldn't. Th- these are things I've been thinking about a lot lately. Our confidence is in the man, Jesus of Nazareth, and the Holy Spirit who, who is with us now, and the Father who is currently reigning with Jesus at his right hand. That's where it is. Yes, amen. We can say amen here. <laughs> We're not super uh, charismatic crew, but we can start doing it. This is important stuff for us right now. And I think we're at a powerful moment. And we, we meaning Missio Day Church specifically, we're at a powerful moment to reevaluate where our confidence lies. And I think we're at a profound moment to explore what God might be doing in and through us right now. Not... Not just biding our time till this pandemic is over, till we all get vaccines, not just biding our time till Inauguration Day if, if, the, if things calm down politically, not just biding our time until jobs come back, not, not biding our time until all that stuff, but actually, God, what are you doing now? How could we be a part of increasing joy in Portland right now through the gospel of Jesus? How could we see people freed from spirits of oppression? How can we see people healed, renewed right now? I want to challenge us, and me specifically too, I'm I'm speaking to my own heart as I say this. I want to challenge us to not use language like, oh, I can't wait till 2021. Um, This has been the worst year ever. We just need to get over it. Put 2020 in the rear view. I want to challenge us to not say that stuff anymore to each other or in our own prayers or in our own thoughts. I want to challenge us to say, God, what are you doing now through us? How can I pay attention to you now? You're stronger than a pandemic. You're stronger than political meltdowns. You're stronger than all this. What are you doing now? How can I, be, how can I embody your gospel right now in our city? So let me ask you a question. What, what if people like Philip had simply said, oh, I can't wait till the persecution's over, and then I'm going to start doing the work of the gospel? What if they did that? I mean, it's kind of a pointless what if because they didn't, (laughs) right? But we see a powerful example of what happened instead of them putting their heads down, trying to keep themselves safe to get to the other side of the persecution and then start spreading the name of Jesus. No, it's precisely in the persecution that their utter confidence in Jesus was revealed and powerfully went out to the rest of the world. And we're in this room today because of it. So let us, we're going to transition to communion here in a moment. Let us prayerfully reclaim the confident promise of the cross and the resurrection and the life of Jesus right now. In and through difficulty, in and through anxiety, in and through complete, um, completely being unsure of what's to come, let us reclaim the confident promise right now. Because we know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are deeply loved by the God of the universe. May we at Missio de Church live and move and have our very being in that confident truth, that confident reality. And may the joy in Portland increase because of the life-giving presence of gospel community in this city. May God do that through us. Amen.